Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. We got a problem. I uh, don't. Oh, man. We're, uh, what's the problem? There's not enough room outside for two tour buses. Oh, is that because there's just this, the studio is just full of rock stars yeah, today? Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough room. Oh, man. I have a golf cart out there. Oh. It's a le- I'm gonna, and I lease it. I don't think our guest wants to be shuttled around. It's not time. his. Trust me, it's it's mine. Okay. And I need to borrow. Can I borrow some gas money? He needs to park his tour bus. Right. Well, maybe, but maybe. I really do. I'm just so humbled to be around such quality founders and Kansas City legends today. So, let me go ahead and introduce Neil Sharma, the CEO and co-founder of DEG. Hello. Hi, Neil. How are you? Oh man, I'm just kind of doing my thing over here. Just like, what you guys feel really imposing. For those of you listening and not watching, they're sitting across the table from me, and I'm just, I'm just humbled. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late today. I needed to uh, get in, but the parking spot was taken by a golf cart. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I mean, I do have a spot that would fit a tour bus in it, but you know, you park what you park. Yeah, my shit's way greener than your guys, by the way. And why does now? Why does your tour bus always on? Well, you know, keep the, you got to yeah, keep the, the, seahorse, the seahorse tank needs. Yes, to, I get it. Air conditioning so, in case I need to use the bathroom. Well, anyway, for those of you listening, I'm going to play journalist today because I, I, I wasn't kidding about rock stars, especially when it comes to startups and Kansas City startups. Um, we're going to talk about selling your startup today. And I don't think I could bring in two other people that at least that I know that could probably offer more more to say about that so first off congrats guys thanks thank you second off i do still need gas money so um but obviously matt um you've got a fairly well-known exit after being the founder of event solutions and congratulations neil on the recent news of deg's acquisition thank you and uh, i mean that all and when, way, when so. was that it was like two or three months ago no end of december so end of december it's, yeah, okay. it's been a few months time flies so yeah. let's uh, just for uh, purposes of, of housekeeping here, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about DEG and like what what you do? And yeah, no, I'll give you the current state. I'm sure you'll go back into the startup pieces when we were a startup, I suppose, going sure. through everything. Uh, DEG is a full service digital uh, marketing agency that provides digital marketing, commerce, and collaboration solutions for a wide array of clients all across the country and the world. So our clients include, you know, the Gap out of San Francisco. It includes, you know, uh, Kansas City, AMC Theaters and, and Hallmark, uh, Purina in St. Louis, Timberland in, in, um, in New Hampshire. So that's just give you kind of a picture going coast to coast. Uh, we've got about 350 folks strong, about 250 here in Kansas City, about 100 elsewhere, including 20 in Manila, development, okay. development operation in Manila. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we've grown uh, since inception, been profitable since we started the business. And, uh, and you know, the last, I'd say, five or so years, uh, we while we've grown by double digits every year, the last, you know, that snowball gets bigger. Uh, and the last five years is when more of the scale started to occur. And, 
and we continue to grow. I think our compound annual growth rate is something like 30%, maybe a little more. And uh, so we continue to see that um, unabated into the future. It's, it's not easy, but- Not uh, too shabby, man. Not too shabby. So That's the story. Matt, do you know that Neil and I went to the same high school? No. Yeah, go Mustangs. Yeah. Did you also go to like four high schools? Like no, you went but to I, went to, I went to five colleges. Five colleges. And I, dude, I'm a junior now, so can you cut this yeah. aside? <laughs> I graduated from high school, though. Uh, yeah, go Mustangs, right? But um, I believe Neil is a year younger than me. I am. Yeah, I am. And so. in fact, actually, my senior year, I wanted to play Ferris Bueller, so I left. I went to Northwest, so it's three years north. Of the ah, first graduating class that. of Blue Valley Northwest. So. Yeah. So I've actually uh, inadvertently kept up with some of Neil's progress over the years from my friend Guy, oh, who you geez, know, and yeah, he'd, of course. he'd go to Royals games with me and stuff like that. And, you know, I did some things be like, man, you ever keep up with Neil Sharma? Cause he's killing it. Wow. And he literally is. So, <laughs> okay. So, um, so you two masters, ah, there you go. You get to share that. Ah. Matt got a master's award. And so we have to call him wow. master Watson, but wow. yeah. Judo class. He, he wishes, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so you guys really are. And I, and I mean this, like you guys have achieved some legendary shit here in Kansas city and thank you for everything you've done here. Um, but I think a, a thing that would just be an awesome thing to talk about today is some of that, like, you know, everyone, everyone starts their startup. Let's be realistic, man. They all, we all have a dream. You want to, you want to cash a big check. Yeah. We want to make a difference along the way and do some cool stuff, but and on some levels, you know, you, you think about the check, right? I mean, is that fair? I'll let you answer that one first. Um, it's not necessarily honestly, why you started me, the business. But for right. me, it was never about the money. Honestly, it was never yeah. about the money. It and was we've about, talked about that before. It was about solving the problem, helping our customers, building cool shit. Right. You know, uh, some of my business partners wanted their name and lights. They wanted to ring the bell of Wall Street. It was all about them. They had huge egos. They didn't give a fuck about anybody else. Right. It was all about them. I didn't care. None of it right. mattered to me. It, you know, and I'd, I'd second that. I mean, I, I think uh, we used to have conversations about enterprise value at some point along the way. And I don't think that it was the driving force of the business and isn't the driving force of the business. I think uh, we look at money as a collateral outcome of doing a good job. Keep it's the score. score. Yeah, it's yeah, the score. Yeah. Right. And so I think um, for us, uh, we used to say, I mean, I'd end the meetings and say, look, the best way to build enterprise value is just to build a good damn business. And the best way to build a good damn business is to do what Matt just said, which is really focus on the customer, focus on the problem and solve it. So if you got kind of your head in that spot, um, it sounds cliche, but it's true. The money is a, an outcome of that. And, and certainly you do get, it'd be unfair to say there aren't times when you start to talk about what kind of value is being created or not being created as when you look up at the scoreboard, right? You can't really help but be aware that it's there. Totally, right, totally. Right. But nobody ever plays any game uh, looking up at the scoreboard throughout the course of that game every it was day. nobody every that's point. good, right? But one of the interesting things that happened at Ben like two or three years before we sold it is nobody really cared all that much about stock and equity and what the company was worth or any of that until somebody started thinking that it was worth something. Yeah. And then everybody was ready to slit each other's throat to get more of it. Yeah, no, we Amongst, didn't. We, like partners and like all that sort of stuff. Like yeah, all of a sudden people were seeing dollar signs and they were and then it changed the whole game. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we thankfully, I think, escaped a lot of that. Uh, a lot of that noise in terms of how people felt about it. But he, you are absolutely right. We do share in the experience where nobody really stopped to pay attention until someone started to wonder what it was worth. Yeah. And in our case, it started to happen when 
a lot of our competitors, both smaller and bigger, started to get gobbled up and we would see them get gobbled up. And so we would think, oh my gosh, they sold for X. Does that mean we're worth this? Right. And, and, uh, but what thankfully didn't happen was what you just described where, where, you know, um, it, it got a little bit, you get to line out your door of people wanting stock options or this yeah. or that, or like business partners that somehow think they didn't yeah. get enough equity yeah. or like all the problems. I've heard, I've heard, start. I've heard all of that. We, you know, look, we have a 90, call it about a 95% retention rate in our business. We've had North of 90 for, for as long as I can remember. For clients or employees? Employees, our revenue retention is North of a hundred, but I think in terms of our associates. So the culture at DEG is a very, very, very huge part of our story, continues to be a part of our story. And when did, when did you start DEG? So we started it, um, technically in 1999 but uh oh, so that was a while ago oh yeah oh, heck okay yeah. oh yeah right. but really our first real year of business was here 2000 um we started out of grad school and um we, me and a guy i was sitting next to in class one day got in trouble talking about business and uh the professor said uh sent us an email and said i'd like to talk to you both about the proper behavior in class and at, uh, at uh, <laughs> wow. and at the, you know, at the break, I, I bumped into the guy who, who I was talking to in class and I said, Hey, are you going to go see the professor? And he says, uh, no, I'm not going to see a professor. We pay these people. And I knew I liked him. Like when he said, you that, had a good like, point. Yeah. yeah I was yeah, like, yeah. it's right. He's like, you're getting an A, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're getting an A. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's getting an A. So it's like, why do we have to go do this? And not unlike our high school days, I was the student body president. And I was not. Yes. He, pointed, he, said he, he wanted to <laughs> Not unlike me you and, no, no, and our not. high school I days, not, I, uh, I was the student body president in MBA school too. And so I felt really compelled. I said, hey, man, I'm the, you know, this and I'm the grad assistant to the dean. I got to do all, we got to go. Will you come with me? And he agreed. And that was then I definitely knew I liked him. And I, somewhere in the middle of getting yelled at and, and by that professor, we decided, screw it, if we're going to get in trouble for talking about business and business school might as well go start one and that was kind of the genesis of the whole thing and uh he and i and then the guru at the university of kansas school of business who like who's the, the he has like five degrees all computer science electrical engineering he was our first technical partner so the three of us were the co-founders our first employee uh, his dad invented the boogie board and nice. so if you've ever boogie boarded on a mori boogie board tom mori is the inventor hmm. of that and his prodigal son sky mori is our first employee, and he was the kind of antithesis technical lead to Singh, who was the guy we co-founded the business with. Uh, Singh has got five degrees. Sky doesn't have any. He's like, well, he's he, he's not even a junior. It's okay, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're uneducated. No, no, no well, Thanks. no, just not not post secondary <laughs> education. And so Sky. Um, Sky was our first employee, and years years later, we made him a partner. I'm and, finding you. Hang on. Oh, there it is. Inappropriate. Uh, foul. Foul. Uh, sorry. And, uh, and then we let, so we made him a partner and then we added, uh, uh, our head of sales a couple of years later as, uh, as one of our partners. And that has been besides the angel investors, the only people that ever had equity. We wanted to tie our people into the long haul. So we built a, uh, both a short-term incentive plan and a long-term incentive plan that really tied people into the long-term success of the business. So and, all of them have worked the company for like 18 years, 19 years? Yeah, so Sky's been there the entire time. Wow. Then Dale, Singh, and, and myself, of course. Jeff came two years later, so he's 16 years in. Wow. And um, and the other thing I'll tell you, again, just we never once voted shares among the five of us. Never once. Never. Still don't. So meeting Dale and I could, could have always outvoted the other three guys. Never once did that. We never voted three versus two. We always fought for consensus. And so sometimes you had knockdown dragouts, which we did, 
uh, but we fight like brothers. We love each other like brothers. And so, and we built our friendship throughout the, the course of the business. And so uh, I think that's been a big part of it. So when it all started to happen, there was a, there was a, a motion that is different. You can start to be more longitudinal about looking at your business when you're not worried about the exit or anything like that. So you just basically focus on building a good business and like shit doesn't go right and it doesn't go right. So fine, figure it out next time as long as we're a little bit better off you know, today than we were yesterday and focus on being better tomorrow than we are today. And we did that. I mean, that was really kind of, it was that earnest. It is that earnest. And that's exactly how we, how we built it. As Matt points out, when it starts to get into sort of starting to understand what your value could be. And by the way, you never know what your value actually is until totally you're in the process, yeah. right? But when you start to understand what your value could be, what ended up happening that was a little different was the way I describe it typically is you, you swim more like, um, you know, more like a, you know, a, a shark or, a, you know, something real smooth. You don't disturb the top. Or maybe maybe in the early days, you look like a duck. It's a little bit smoother on top of your working your tail off with your feet, you know, underneath the water. But you're not making a ton of waves. You're not thrashing at all because you figure, ah, if I didn't get it done, I'll work on it tomorrow. And, I'll, I'll work, you know, we'll get it. We'll get it done and we'll be better tomorrow. Is this why you have a seahorse, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, and so that's how it is. And then what ends up happening is when you start to see the brass ring or whatever, whatever like when it's right there and it's, it becomes a little bit more known, we did go through some thrashing. It wasn't it wasn't infighting. It wasn't um, any more argument that we would have had anyway about how best to grow the business. And 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 again, we've never once voted uh, against each other or, or uh, at all. But you get a little thrashy. You get a right. little bit like, oh man, it's right there. And so and so, even though you're doing well, and by that time, I mean by last year, we were doing fine. I mean, we had a great lifestyle business. It was generating great profits. We were buying companies. Uh, which is a part we can talk about if you want to as well. And so we were we were learning a ton and and doing great. But boy, you see liquidity, a bigger liquidity event right in front of you, and it's very hard not sure. to thrash a little bit. And so I do think there was some of that thrashing because what ends up happening is longitudinal time that you think about growing your business shortens immediately. And you're like, oh, crap, it's like right there. And so you start to really start to um, – we didn't do anything different. We kept long-term decisions, but psychologically, you are thrashing. You're wondering about things. Well, Matt, your story involves some thrashing, but it's for different reasons. I mean, you 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 talk about you talked about like the voting. Mm-hmm. You actually had an issue with that at one point. Right? Yeah, because we early on we merged with another company, and so there were five principals uh, owners. And the problem we had is um, the the company structure was set up with a supermajority. So all five had to agree for anything to happen, which makes it nearly impossible once somebody starts disagreeing. Yeah, and so That's that true. created a bunch of problems for us. Um, and we worked through it and had a bunch of legal challenges. And one of the one of those five people went away, and mm. uh, we eventually bought out uh, all those people. Actually, um, all all those other people actually got bought out at one point in time. And then I had some new partners uh, who came in later. But yeah, I had all sorts of issues with partners and disagreements and whatever. When I started the company, I was 22. Uh, right? So was I. So, you know. <laughs> Matt was selling cameras at Sears. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, let's say I get to the, I'm like 26, 27 years old. We bring in a new CFO. All of a sudden he thinks I'm just a dumb programmer. Yeah. Like literally he's like, I can hire any programmer in the world to do what you do, Matt. Did he actually say that? Oh yeah. No, oh, yeah. Wow. that was his attitude towards me. And he was our CFO and he was, as we were doing different things, talk about raising capital, all this, he would have done anything to slip my throat and take part of my stock. Holy crap. It's like I said, man, different, <laughs> different story, right? <laughs> and I, 
I mean, I built the entire product, the yeah. company, whatever. Yeah. But for him, he was it was all like a money grabbing, stock grabbing, equity grabbing thing. He didn't so, put any so, money in the company, but he was trying to figure out how to get as much stock as he could. You, you mentioned you life's know, too short for that. You, shit. you mentioned your original founding team. Yeah. Matt's dad was employee number one. That's amazing, and technically still is. He still works there, yeah. and he never had any equity. Yeah. Unbelievable! Wow. Yeah. yeah, so that's a little. That's different. the biggest mistake so, like, I ever made is him not getting any equity. So he's got you as a son. So there you go. You got to cut, and Matt, that that is a dividend all unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to I like I like to identify with your dad in that regard. I feel like the cash those dividends all day. Um, anyway, but we he's still he's still asking for gas money for his electric uh, his electric golf cart. So it's... hey, man, I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to convert it. I got range problems, oh guys. God. Man, no, I I feel very blessed. Look, I I think what you accomplish is fine, but how you accomplish it is way way more important. And I think. You know, you guys talked about money being a scoreboard, and I think that's the right—that's the right frame of it. I also think, you know, another way we say it is that it's choices. So having money is important because it's choices, and it gives you opportunity to make different decisions than you had before. But both of those things, scoreboard or choices, puts money in its proper context. It makes it a facilitator of the point, but it doesn't make it the fucking point. Right. And I think when you get folks, look, it sounds like Matt's partners, your partners yeah, were. Yeah, they had one for sure. That is that is the only thing they're focused on. And and life is too short to grab at that kind of thing. It doesn't – it works out for a, only a small percentage of people that have that frame, the frame of his uh, old partners. Uh, it works out for far more uh, more predictably the people that are not looking at money as the primary point but looking at – something that has a higher order of purpose. Every new associate that joins DEG sits down with me within the first month of their employment. We've been doing this for nine years and we go through what we believe in, what our values are. And it, and we do this for an hour and a half, two hours. Right now, are those different in each situation? Yeah, we change like them. Corporate no, no. Values? Well, no, I mean, no, no. This well, is this is literally. But that, but that's a real question. No, no, because no. different people have different values. No, are we no, just no. Talking no. to the company I'm culture, just what we like, stand for, and why we stand for it. What, 20... what are a few of those things that are that are high up on the list? Yeah, um, we believe in fostering a well-rounded work environment. So I'll give you an example. That used to the first draft of that, and we had a committee draft it. So about 2010, what we did was we had. We had 35 people or something. We hired five, and I thought, "Holy crap! I'm not. You know, this is going to get too big. I'm not. You know, we we got to figure out why we're special because we had already been in business for a while, and um, and that's going to get too big. I'm not going to be a part of it, which is was such a joke because it, you know, that's not true. And it took years and years for me to be more, more uh, less operative in the business. So we we had a committee write it. We had a group of just a cross functional group, and then we brought it to the partners, and then the partners kind of validated it. We kind of wrote it as a group, and then every single new associate from that point to now went through uh, time to see the core values. And so, and it's a lot of things like that. So the earliest draft used to say something like uh, work life balance, and I realized like that is actually not what I believe in. And I got to believe in these things too, because to me to have a home life. And a work life as two separate lives seemed like radically crazy to me. And my wife or girlfriend at the time was working at a place where it was like pencils down at five o'clock, shift change, parking lot, that kind of thing. And I didn't want to have that kind of experience. I couldn't live in a place like that. It's nothing like the startup was and that we were. I'd have a hard time with that. It's, it's no way to work. So the way I, we put it is we say we want to have a well-rounded life, which is to say, look, you have, you have to eat three times a day. Do you have an eat life? You have to sleep eight hours a night. Do you have a sleep life? No, you just have fucking life. Life is just a 24-hour experience, and we want our folks to have 
that 24 hours chock-a-block full of interesting experience experiences at work at at play you know with their family with their friends sleeping eating whatever and you can't have a well-rounded life like that you can't have interesting experiences like that if you're at work all the time you just right. can't because everyone has a different set of needs in their personal, professional, and physical the, life, and like what might make you happy might make me totally, miserable. Totally, and so right? It's about and so you got and, and having a well-rounded experience. So in in our case, we want people to have a well-rounded life. You can't have a well-rounded life. You're at work all the time, so we get to the same idea that you're not there to work people to death because then then you become an effing bore. And I tell them, look, I know plenty of trust fund babies too that don't work at all, and they're effing bores too. Anybody yeah. who has like a single you know, uh, take on life, you know, and doing one thing, they're boring. Right. And so have a really interesting life. And, and so we call it, you know, fostering a well-rounded work environment. We talk a lot about, um, you know, how do we, um, so our greatest pride is a job well done. So how are we really craftsmen and women, right? How are we focused on, you know, making sure that, uh, the work that we do, just the intrinsic value of the work that we do is of value. So that, anyway, those are all the things that we talk about, but back to money really quickly, it's not a, written as core value, but in that session, I tell them, you are not here to make a rich man richer. That is not your purpose. You didn't come to DEG to make a rich man richer. We built this company to be a vehicle for our fulfillment. And certainly it's delivered all along the way. It's you know, not only at the end, but all along the way. Well, you, why can't it be a vehicle for yours too? And why can't you use it as a platform for you to accomplish the things personally and professionally you wish to accomplish? And that's how we look at it with our folks. And, and we, honest to goodness, believe that. So it takes money and it puts it in its proper context. Money mm -hmm. is the enabler of that kind of stuff happening versus money being the point. When you get, sounds like partners like he had, where it's like focused just on the money, then all sorts of bad decisions get made and short-term decisions get made and all sorts of uh, treatment of people get to be, yeah. you, know, you get a guy who built a product and you tell him, well, huh. Anybody can do this. So Matt Watson. Well, anybody didn't. Matt Watson once said to me, you're not here to make a rich man richer. And then he stole my money gun. Yeah. Like I got it back eventually, but is that that's a different thing, right? Well, and then I did put hundreds in it one day. That was actually fun. That, that was, was a good know, day. That was, and, then, but, and then you took them away and you and brought like a bunch away. of like, there's like a bunch of dirty ones in there. Yeah. And it's, there's a $2 bill in yes. there somewhere. Like. <laughs> If you yeah. catch the $2 bill, you're really lucky. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're still on the topic of selling a startup. Now, Matt, and, and we'll throw this to your direction first. So when on the, on the way to actually doing that with Venn Solutions, you weren't actually trying to sell the company. You were actually trying to raise some money, we, right? Yeah. So the company started in 2003 and never really raised any capital of any kind. Um, you know, I we help pay the bills with our own personal visa and mastercard and stuff like that. Um, we sold a small part of the business for like a hundred grand or something along the way. One of our friends that was an owner, one of the owners put in like a hundred grand. Like that was it. That was like the only capital in the history of the company. So around 2008, 2009, 2010, we were growing very fast. Like, you know, there were months we were increasing monthly recurring revenue by like 200 grand a month, which is a lot. Yeah, you, know, you can't budget yep. for that. You can't forecast for it. Like you've got a new dumpster fire every month and you don't even know where it is. Right. right? It's right. like uh, my, everybody always says they want to have um, more customers. They know what to do with. We had that problem and it was fucking terrible because yeah. we had 50 salespeople that took phone calls all day long, mad from people they had previously sold because we couldn't install the shit fast enough. Yeah. And then our implementation team was like in tears in the fetal position and our support team is dealing with angry people. Like it was just not a good situation yeah. 
to go sell your product to all these people and then you can't deliver it. Yep. I mean, it, it was doesn't a, sound a like well, a well-rounded work no, experience. It was man. bad. No, but, you know, and most businesses uh, at that point in their, in their histories don't die because they starve. They die because they choke. Well, yeah, and, we, and, that's, and, and that's we didn't the have the capital to right. go hire you know, all the support people we need, all the implementation, yeah. like we couldn't get ahead of the problem. Like yeah. I could go hire somebody now, but it takes them 90 days or whatever to be trained and all that. Well, then the problem's even worse than more than another 90 days. Like yeah. it was an ever yeah. So anyways, we, we tried to raise capital in like 2009, 2010, which was, we were in automotive. Two of the manufacturers were, went bankrupt. The stock market was shit. Automotive sales were down like 30% from where they were, whatever. Like it was not a good place to be. So we just had to, get through it we don't work our way through it but in i think it was like 2010 we um we got an offer from actually a company here in town that was going to do like mezzanine debt financing and we ended up not doing it and the company had grown like 40 percent while we were going through that process and we we're like we'll just restart the process so we just yeah. basically restarted the process we're like the company's worth 40 percent now more than it was when we started this damn process and um we were just looking to raise capital. We were we thought the company was worth like eighty million dollars, which seemed crazy. Um, but we were doing thirty million in revenue um, around that ballpark, and we were hoping to raise like twenty million dollars, thirty million dollars, something like that. And then the fa- a lot of the founders and owners were going to take some money off the table, and we'd put some more you know fuel into the fire and sure. take this to the next level. Yeah, and ultimately we had. And a couple people offer us like 100, 105, 110 million. And we're like, holy shit, this is crazy. We're, we're going to have to do this. And, uh, but, but just to like clarify that you were trying to find investors yeah. and all of a sudden you're like, people are like, yeah. Oh, so if you'll take this check for 105 million bucks, we'll just take this whole thing off your hands. Yeah. And one of the, one of my, one of my friends who was one of the owners, his dad like famously said, he's like, he's like, at some point in time, it's enough money. You take that fucking money, take it. Yeah, we're like, going to talk. It's a we're, lot of we're, money. We're going to talk about that soon, but but there's a <laughs> you fun, just take there, there's a funny part, and and you had this every day. Yeah, Tell yeah, it was day. it was crazy when we went. We did the whole process right where we went through and we we used a firm that helped like an investment banker to help sell the company, and we went and talked to like the KKRs and Excel and all these different people in California and Boston, and we went through all of that stuff. And it was funny, we had this joke and it was like every day because it seemed like every day we had a better offer. It was like, oh, the company was worth 80 million and it was 85 and then it was 90 and then it was 95 and then it was 100. And it was like, it was insane. It was literally answering the fun. They call each other and his business partner just be like, every day, every day. (laughs) I mean, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And um, these are problems that are way worse to have than my electric to gas problem yeah. in my golf the, one of the one of the craziest things we ever did is uh one of my business partners um you know he was more of the ceo and i was more the cto but we we actually went to california and met with one of the vcs and the whole reason we went is to tell him like we didn't understand why your offer was so low you had the lowest offer of all these different companies but did they but they had the highest offer. <laughs> and and, uh, and next thing you know, like two weeks later, they upped their offer like five or $10 million. And it was like, it was like every day. It's it was, a, investment bank it was the craziest thing. Yeah. And actually funny part of that story is um, <clears throat> one of our partners, uh, we owned a little plane. It was a turboprop plane. And we flew it all the way out there to San Diego. And then we had to fly from there to San Francisco. And funny story, 
our pilot forgot to put our luggage on the plane. Wow. So we fly into San Francisco and realize we have no luggage. And we, funny story, talk about rich people problems. RPP. Oh, my God. We we go to check in at the hotel and we, we totally like, oh, we lost our luggage. You know, is there like a Target nearby? Like, where do we go? And he's like, oh, what airline were you on? We're like, oh, it, it was our own plane, our own pilot. He's like, never heard that one before. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, we, we roll into San Francisco after on this, uh, you know, expedition to sell the company with no clothes and meeting another VC the next day. And <laughs> with your valuation seemingly going up yeah. every day, literally go to, every day, but you don't, you, all you have is the clothes. We roll into back. Union Square and Macy's and have to go buy some clothes <laughs> the next morning. So and, and It was quite a journey. And I want to get a, the similar approach pattern sure. to you, but don't take it all the way because I, I have a very specific question okay. about like the at, when that offer comes. Yeah, sure. No. So, so uh, com- uh, comparable in the sense that we didn't really have any real equity in the company um, for pretty much the entire history. We uh, went out to four angel investors, four angel investor groups, but really three of them were just individuals. The last one was a group. Basically, when we Dale and I, who's the guy I co-founded the business with, realized we would not be able to hire Singh, who actually had a job at the University of Kansas. We were just students and had a kid, and you know, was, he's ten years older than me, and I was twenty-two. He was thirty-two, and he was like, "Look, I can't leave. I got benefits." Like, you know, we were like, "Well, we got to hire him." So we realized we wouldn't be able to afford hiring him. So we went out to Dale's dad, who's a successful entrepreneur, and Dale's dad's business partner. And then I had met two great entrepreneurs through just being the student body president at the University of Kansas MBA school. 75 grand a pop. That was it. And and they took a decent chunk of the business, not a big chunk, but you know, it was a hell of a deal. And um, and that was the that was the that was the only equity. We never really spent a dime of it. Like we it gave it gave uh uh, sing some uh, assurance, and uh, it gave it gave um, us feeling all right. But we never really. That, that was the only time was you it. guys. Have, that was the only incoming money other than like That's sweat it. equity. That was it. That was it. And then years go by, and uh, we're big partners uh, still to this day of Salesforce.com, and okay. so we're one of the largest partners in the world for them. And we were really growing our business pretty aggressively. That uh, we were with a company called Exact Target. That was who we were yeah. the big, biggest partners They're in Indianapolis. Of. They're in yeah. Indianapolis, yeah. right? Great, great friends with them. They're great, great folks. They were partnered with one of the five schools that I went to. Now, so oh. that's why I know who they are. And, Kelly School uh, Business. And they and they uh, ended up selling to Salesforce. And so we realized we went from being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a much bigger pond. And so we Salesforce Ventures said we really want to make a bet on an agency, which is kind of how we were positioned. And we want to invest in you guys. And we thought, oh, that's going to be awesome. It's going to help us get access. It's going to help us get, um, you know, um, a cover, you know, armor from you know all the bigger players, the Accentures, Deloitte's, and that kind of thing. Um, Were you concerned about that? Oh, when for you sure. Say armor, like, what did you need uh, armor? Competitive for? armor. Like, like okay. if you're a Salesforce venture back company, at least you can say you're part sure. of the family, right? And it's a little bit like a ability to sort of say, how does a, f- a small fish in a big pond? Right with a bunch right. of behemoths, sure. try to look a little bit bigger, and you can say you're backed by Salesforce Ventures. So we never even needed the money. We didn't need. They gave us a million bucks. We didn't need the money. What we needed was that right, the affection, the armor, uh, and uh, the access, and that's exactly what we got. So that money also was never really materially spent. We didn't need that cash, right? And even the, in the first go, that was it. So that and that was way way long. That was like 14 years later. So our cap table is pretty simple and straightforward. Um, our investors had never, and to this day, have never once met in the same room. 
So wow. we would have, you know, membership meetings and we just do it by proxy and, and here, we're doing pretty well. Here's everyone's distribution check. And we'd keep, we'd keep going. And, uh, so it was, it was, we, we made it much simpler. I think we were honest and straightforward about things and not, we didn't try to get too clever and this is who we were and, and we grew it, I think simply, uh, that way. And so when we entered the process, the only reason we entered the process was because we started to see, we had all of our larger competitors get bought up for strategic values and exits that were really substantive by Accenture's and by Deloitte's and by, you know, the big global consulting. Uh, and then we started to see our smaller competitors get gobbled up. And then, then we kind of looked up from our work and we're like, are we missing, like, we're, we must be missing something strategically here. So you, you mentioned this earlier, but now, like, how long ago was that? That was, uh, I would say that would be, years ago, or is this no, like that'd be the ago? beginning, you know, about a year ago, but end of 2017, early 2018, I think we started to like tune in. Now, so the signal flares up in the air at this point. Yeah. I mean, look, right. people are coming at you all the time from 2012. You're, okay. you're getting groups all the time. Yeah. You're getting calls all the time. So you just ignore it, you know? And I think in 2016, I want to say, or maybe 2015, we actually chased one down a little bit more, you know, they called us and we kind of looked at it a little bit close, more closely to learn just to like, it was kind of like a, you know, try it out. Like we, you know, they were coming with this amount and we're like, well, that's, that's a lot, but we'll just try it out and see what happens. And we learned a lot. And and the other thing we were doing is we were buying companies. So by that point, we had bought four companies and we were doing it with our own cash. And so here you are using your own cash, your own, you know, what you were otherwise drawing from the business you were using to buy companies. And, you know, over time, we were starting to not have enough cash to buy the companies we were trying to buy out of our own pocketbooks. So we took a bank loan out and, you know, bought a company with that. And we started to realize our ability to really grow aggressively only using our own cash or, or debt financing is not going to work. So in the, much in the same regard, we said our growth is going to have to be financed some other way, however it's going to be financed, right? So we said we had an open-ended view of saying we want to grow pretty aggressively, continue to grow pretty aggressively. We're going to need to do so uh, with using other forms of capital. And, and so how are we going to go do that? And the reason we ended up, uh, you know, in our process, and we'll go all the way through, but uh, we had 21, I think, in the IOI phase. So it wasn't quite every day, but it felt comparable yeah. where, where you're getting a lot yeah, of people different interested. Different offers, meetings. We had oh, all the time, nonstop, yeah. right? And then you had- Dog no, and pony show over oh. and over and over. Yeah. You felt like, you felt like uh, you know, I'm a big music fan, you know, and you, you felt like, uh, it's like, you know, how does Bono of you 2 play Sunday Bloody Sunday in a hundred gigs a year? For right. the last 30 freaking years. And he just does. And you, I'm like, if he can put up with that for 30 years, telling, singing the same song yeah. 100 nights a year. I've, I, talked, I, I've talked to musicians about that. Like, how do you have, solve the same passion about something like 20 years later? Yeah. You're like, hey, this is clearly 10,000 times. You still got to sing it, right? So you just do that because you love the business. So you got to keep talking about it the same way. So you keep doing it. But anyway, so we had, we had nine in our LOI. We had nine people who really, you know, wanted to go final, final with us. I mean, this is after we kicked out some people, right? And we left some, some, uh, we left uh, private equity in there, not a lot, because we, we had at that point realized all private equity was going to help us do was get to be, call it a $120 million company, maybe faster. But that wasn't going to stop. You know, we'd still be a boat in open water, right? So we'd be $120 million self-satisfied Kansas City services firm, right? Look at us. Look how, you know, how successful we are. And there'll be an armada over there called Accenture and an armada over there called Agency Hold Co. X, like WPP, and an armada over there called Deloitte. You know, and they could just blow us out of the water. And were we really doing our people a service, even if we were self-satisfied being you know, a highly profitable $120 million outfit, boat sitting in open water? 
So we realized we probably had to go a strategic route to have all the benefits of rapid growth uh, and and the cover that is coming in, in our industry, which is a lot of a lot of a consolidation that's happening in, in, in our space. So so that's kind of what was our calculus, but it was it was these other companies that started to do their thing that made us realize we probably ought to do ours. And um, you know, we had strategics from consulting, strategics from advertising, we had uh, private equity, and then we had this other breed, which is private equity back strategics. So it was like a very mm-hmm. interesting mix of folks that were all in the mix for us. And um, okay, well, hang on because I heard the word mix, and we're going to come up to the thrilling conclusion that Neil said he loves music, so we are going to play mixtape. Perfect. Real quick, but then we're going to get into the, my big question. So, have you played mixtape? Before? I have not. Does somebody have to sing? Uh, yeah, that's optional. Perfect. That's okay. optional. Right. If you want to sing, you can. Yeah, we right. will not stop you. So mixtapethegame.com. I pull a card out of the deck. I read a scenario. We all pick a song, and then we vote for who has the best answer. You cannot vote for yourself, and Watson almost never votes for me. Got it. Love it. First time crowd surfing. What's the song? Mm. I kind of just I, like when I think can I just cr- jump in or yo, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Red Hot Chili Peppers, give it away. Oh, I like that a lot. I was gonna shit. I was gonna go with like a rage against the machine. Well, that's fine too. Kind of song. Pearl Jam, like, Jeremy. Because I why not? I'm gonna go with, you know, whatever that fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Because I feel like I need to Or like, or Pearl Jam even flow. Pearl sure, Jam even flow. Same era. Good I'm one. gonna go with Limp Biscuit. Oh, Which he what, does the not whole get my library? <laughs> he does not get or my the vote. band? I mean, come on, you can't you can't do that. You can't. Pick Sorry, the whole library. Matt, you do not get my vote. It doesn't matter what he I says. Like, I like. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. I'm voting for Neil. So. I'm voting for Neil too. All just right. based on that. Congratulations, <laughs> the winner of mixtape selling your startup version. So, Neil, you can you, you do you want to fire the money again? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You on, need like, gas money. I'll fire it right you, at you. you. No, I want you to fire it. At, Watson's the one that deserves it. <laughs> um, he's the one that I deserves to get hit with that after that answer. All right. So let's see if it'll work. <laughs> Ready? Yeah, do it. <laughs> oh, oh, this thing's awesome. This is an amazing. <laughs> this thing is amazing. I want one of these. I want one of these. How do you get one of these? Oh, Neil, if I, I will, end up I, with Neil, a- Neil, I will buy you a money gun because it uh, was worth that reaction. If I get right anything yeah. from this yeah. podcast, yeah. I want this thing. Yeah. Well, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'll, I'll deliver you one, Neil. Uh, this is fantastic. I love it. I love this. Do you want all these dirty ones too? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. We'll keep those. There's too much glitter on them. I'll give those to, to course. <laughs> let him have give them Hey, now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Oh. Thank you. For Did this that. go off the rail? I think it just went off the rail. It's your fault. No, it didn't. Oh, the by the way. Gun. Oh, dude. Uh, <laughs> as far as, as the boundaries for qualifying for the podcast being off the rail, we have not even uh, come close. Good. I've uh, got a story okay. later. We're going off the rails. Okay. Oh, no, right, dude. Are we? Are we going, yeah. to, we're going into oh, overtime? Yeah. Like that kind of, all right, fine. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. So, all right. So, here's the thing. All right. And this is what, and you know, I'm trying to be the best journalist I can be because, you know, I don't have the fancy stories. But I do have a money gun. Yeah. So, which is maybe more awesome. All right. So, Matt, you mentioned earlier at some point someone said to you, you know, at some point, like, hey, you got to take this check. Yeah. All right. So, that's, and we don't have to get, I don't want the numbers because we're going to keep it classy. If people listen, you want to go figure it out, it's out there. All right. But, you know, it, it was a lot. It was a good, good amount. But at some point, you get an offer, 
You guys both admitted you've had them before. Obviously, at some point, you maybe go home and you tell your wife, someone, you know, it's kind of legit. They offered this. But at some point, that changes. So, Madden, just like two minutes, what was your, when did you, when are you like, okay, this is it. I got to do it. Um, and like, what was going through your head when that occurred? I mean, I think all along we knew we were going to do it. We Give were me going, the money. We back. were going through the process, right? Thank you. Um, damn, I got all this glitter on me. I don't know if I want to touch this money. <laughs> uh, no, I, like, do you see how reluctantly I grab that? Uh, the all along we knew we were we were going to do it, right? And that's it. It was honestly the funnest part of the entire ride of the business over that eight years. Was that like six months? Like the business was doing great. It was healthy. It was making money. Like. Everything was fantastic. So the success of the business was the fun part, not necessarily. The... But, this, but the selling it was fun. Like yeah. that six months, the dog and pony show kind of wore on you, but it yeah. was fun. And yeah. it was like, a net, you know, every week, you know, it was like a new offer, a new management meeting. Like meeting it was interesting a lot people, of fun. And you meet so many interesting people. I mean, there are fun. a lot of smart people out there. And, you and meet, at you that point, I, mean, I would imagine knowing what's at the end of the dog and pony show, it makes it a little easier to yeah. put up with the dog and pony show. Yeah. I mean, when, when you, when you, like you said, you get multiple LOIs and, you know, and that keeps like round by round, you keep, you know, weeding them out and who has the best offer. And then you go tell them they actually have the worst offer and all that kind of stuff. Um, it gets real exciting because, you know, you have numbers like, oh, they offered me 90 million or whatever the number is. And you're, you, you got your little spreadsheet. And you're like, okay, what do I get out of this? Yeah. Right. And you start thinking about what am I going to do with this money? And all becomes very real. Did, did you have like a Tom Brady, like armband? No. Kind of like look at next it. Time. Like, ah, next pass, time. Pass, yeah. Pass, next time. But it all becomes very real at that point in time but i'll be honest with you it was more fun the process of going through it was more fun than when it was over when it was over it's kind of like you got off the roller coaster yeah, and you've and talked like, about that a lot yeah. now what so but i think and we'll and we'll finish with that in a second so neil where did you get to that point because it sounds like you're like the the approach pattern was a little different because matt you actually exited like you, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, you did kind of show up to work. It's kind of a funny story. Like Matt's kind of confused one day. He's like, how long do I have to stay here? You know, yeah. like, but kind of like, you know, where, where are we at? What do we do? But you still, you are still there at DEG. Now, is that just temporary or is that so TBD? Yeah. Well, let me, let me try to answer that. Sure. This question in the, in the question before, um, but let me first say that the best time to exit a company is when you don't have to. So you never have a more stronger that. position leverage leverage position vis-a-vis -vis a potential investor or buyer when you're looking for capital. And we, you know, we both went to market, Matt and I sort of saying, we're looking for financing. We're looking to continue the growth of the business, which is implicitly saying we're growing and we're growing faster than we can easily fund ourselves. And so what we need is a partner to help us. And so you start to characterize a lot of these things as partnerships because they are, they are, whether it's a full exit or a private equity investment, it doesn't so much matter. There's always going to be a partnership element to it. Um, that is what your people count on is happening. And so, did I get dinged for saying No, Matt, Matt has to donate to charity if he yawns during the podcast. Oh, damn, I'm boring him. Uh, no, sorry. no, it's no, but well, back I can shoot the, the money gun at him. Back again. into the work culture, your office has a ton of windows. We don't have any. God, it could, be, it, it, it could be 9 world, p.m. right now. The world could be ending right yeah, now. Right. We're the last people. To so, so I want to just say that because I think it's really important for people to understand. Like, if you're going to go to market and you're not looking so hot, you're not going to have as I think as positive experience as Matt had or I had through the process, meeting interesting people and and, and happily telling the story. Because frankly, you don't really have a happy story. Uh, but if you're growing and you don't need to do the deal, like you don't need to do the deal, then as he points out, 
when you start to see what the dollars are and what they're worth, what the business might be worth to you, uh, you hit a point where all of that kind of equals out. It's a marginal benefit. I mean, there's a no- at some point there's enough, and you're it's so- a lot of money. Yeah, and so you're right, like, right, right. like millions. It doesn't matter if it's eleven million or ten million or 12, yeah, whatever. But, like but it's just like a fuck ton of money. So then you start to focus though, on like, other criteria. You've yeah. got to focus on other criteria. And-, and at some point, you're you're you can make a very strong argument for the fact that if you don't cash that check. Yeah, that might be kind of dumb too. Like, cause I mean, you're talking about right. generational yeah, just, type You just wealth. take the money. Like, sure. You, you know, there's a lot of things you can do and like, Hey, I, enough I, I'm money talented. Is enough I have money. a lot of interest. I can right. get some shit figured out. But I guess out. what I'm trying like, to say yeah. is like, that actually happens a little bit earlier than when, when you're kind of phrasing the question. It happens at the point when you have a growing and positive and successful business. There's a point where like, you know, the market starts to tell you it's roughly here. Right. Now it could be more and it starts to get to be more as you go through the rounds of auction, et cetera, that happen. But there's a point where you're like, okay, we're probably good on the money side. That is to say, we, we certainly will negotiate for more with everybody because everyone's going to offer more and you're going to try to run that. But like it's a marginal benefit to you. And at that point, you know, the when you start talking about wealth, there's like different breakpoints in wealth. And you're at a point where like, okay, well, unless it's going to be a whole other breakpoint, this is kind of a marginal benefit. And so you're like, okay, I'm good here. I'm happy here. I know where that's at. Then you start to really look at other uh, criteria. And that's what we did. Where is the greatest opportunity for the scope of the business, the original thesis for why we were going to the market to begin with? Who's going to help us grow more aggressively? Who's going to help the platform that we try to create for our people be the most successful? So where are people going to have the greatest impact and be able to succeed the best? And, you know, all sorts of different things. Where are their relative strengths in the market? How are they doing? You know, da, 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 da. And you kind of do a lot of just like, you know, advantage, disadvantage, plus minus scoreboarding stuff. And certainly, you know, dollars do play a role. I mean, but we didn't take the highest offer, right? We took a person, a group that we thought was the best fit for the overall proposition, but still plenty good in the, in the and money. And who was category. that? A company called Dentsu. Dentsu is uh, the third largest agency holding company in the world. It's a okay. Japanese-based company. It's got a monopoly in, in a near monopoly in, in advertising in Japan, but their but their global operation is the Dentsu Aegis Network. It owns companies like iProspect, 360i, Isobar, which is who bought us, Merkle, those kinds of big agency-oriented, okay. um, digital agency-oriented okay. companies. So anyhow, so at that point, you start ranking those kinds of things, and then now that gets to your last question. So yeah, so I'm I'm here. I could be here as long as I want. You know, it's America, as my investment banker says, so I could I could leave tomorrow, I suppose, if I wanted. But I've made a commitment. I'm happy to make that commitment because I'm really, I'm really focused on ensuring our people, the people that the great folks at DEG. And again, we're growing 20, 30% every year, right? So there's going to be more DEGers very soon. I want to make sure they're in a really good spot and that they can use uh, this move as just another step in our evolution to launch, launch their careers personally and professionally and make sure they're successful. Uh, and certainly we'll make more money along the way. And that's great. Um, I want to make sure the people that took the bet on us uh, at at Dentsu uh, are in a good spot too because they made it was a big it's a, it was not a small acquisition and so we want to make sure they're successful too so it it gives you a really clear sense of purpose around around choice uh, choice creation right optionality for people uh, and setting people up for long term success and did it feel anticlimactic because Matt will say that oh, like he talks about these it is like, the most anticlimactic yeah, experience yeah, yeah, in the yeah. world it's, it's like it's like the rock show is like a million notes a minute and then all of a sudden they're like and now the encore and then it's just it's no, a four minute no, phone call and then no one's there the closing like, is a four what? minute phone call and I, I we're in this great office now we moved into about a year or a year and a half ago 
I took uh, our guys, all, all the four partners I mentioned, I took them back to the first office we started out of. Uh, which was awesome. And we, you know, oh, that's where you did the closing call. Yeah. And it was, it was an empty room. And so it it, with some folding chairs and we had the, you know, the cell phone in the middle. And as you point out, it could not have been more anticlimactic. It was a four minute call, release the signatures, release the funds. Great, great pause. And I thought, oh man, maybe I should say something like profound. So I don't know what I said, but I said something like, you know, thank you guys for the, pro-, you know, whatever. Some, you know, looking forward to the yeah. future. Something hopefully if, poetic. If you had a money gun at that point. <laughs> oh, well, you know, whole other thing. And yeah. then, um, and then, you know, they said something, and that was it. And uh, <laughs> you hang up, and you all kind of look at each other, and you're like, like now, what? I think we're done. Yeah, done. Did that just happened, and especially after that roller coaster, because that process, yeah is a crazy process. So did so when you were going through that process, did you have any moments where you thought it was going to blow up? Every, like almost every other day. So what kind of what kind of issues did you guys have yeah. in getting the transaction completed? Cuz that's part of the story nobody I ever thinks about. I can't imagine how fucking gut-wrenching oh, it's, it's got. I still have a little bit of PTSD nuts. about it. And yeah, this is actually yeah. what I mean. Like, I bet I'm like for real. Oh I my god. You do. Yeah. So I I've, you know, talking about it after the fact, you know, you're you're you can feel your chest kind of tighten up. I think and, and I think this is what I meant by the psychological thrashing, right? Because you're like so close and you don't want it to F up at this point in the process. And so to me, it felt less like an up and down. Like a lot of people describe it as, you know, this roller coaster where it's up and down. It felt more like you're riding along the track. Things are going pretty well. But at any time, the whole track could just, you know, mm-hmm. crumble well, what, what underneath kind of, you. What kind of stuff's going on that's making you go, oh, shit, this is going to actually blow up? In right? essence, it all comes down to a lot more eyes start to look at it and a lot more people with a different judgment than Reps the commercial. Yes, I see, yes. I see, the commercial I see. side of the business. So the commercial side has already decided this makes sense. We're going to go do it. So then, then there's that a potential good. red team there putting, telling well, everyone so then why it, it sucks so then, or then don't do this That's or, the lawyer's primary yeah. job is yep, to yep, sort of yep, say yep. this sucks for all these reasons. Identify every possible risk. Correct. And then there's reps and warranty uh, insurance people who can get involved. In our case, it wasn't a big deal. IT gets involved and you've got a big entrenched business and they're worried about all sorts of other things like that. So at any point in the process, then their boards, their board will largely in big, big acquisitions, boards will approve directionally. Then M and A groups will come. The corporate dev team will come. When bring, you say directionally, mean like, hey, you can do it. Or you could no, buy a firm doing this kind of thing for this, roughly this range of capital, and da 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 da. So then they start to they start to operate on that. Then they got to bring the final the LOI deal terms back. The board's got to approve that. Then they got to bring back kind of the final negotiation, major points of negotiation back. They got to approve that. So at any point in the process, and here's the other thing people don't know: once you sign an LOI. And I learned this through a group called Young Presidents Organization. They have a bunch of CEOs get together and talk about business issues. And I went to a whole M&A seminar. And man, this guy said this to me. And I, it is absolutely the truth. I don't care how many options you have. And you need more than one walking into that exclusive. Once you sign exclusive as a seller, you lose all leverage. That is the highest point of leverage you will have in the negotiation. Because the only thing you can then do, if you don't like how it's going, you don't like a term in the deal, the lawyer cocks it up, whatever it might be is you walk away. Well, and then you walk away, you're back to the market and you're not damaged goods, but you're back to the market right. and you got to yeah. redo all this crap and you're exhausted. Yeah. So they know this. So by the end of the whole process. And, and this process, you're distracted away from running your business too. That's the correct. other part of this. Correct. I mean, well, you're supposed the, to keep hitting your but numbers. On the other, you on the other side of stuff. the process is the same way, like raising capital. It's yeah. like, hey, this is all I'm, all I'm doing and how am I actually going to do my job? But, and and, yeah, and so. by the way, you have to do a good job at yeah. the job because that actually picks your value. Like that is what keeps your value. Right. Uh, and do you guys have an earnout and stuff? We do. But again, uh, what we negotiated, I think by and large, is I would call that earnout to be uh, 
more, it feels more like incentive than it feels yeah, like, sure. you know, uh, earnout. We, well, he, he mentioned my earnout too. We, our earnout <laughs> was only like six or seven months and it was pretty funny because, uh, we get to past November or past Thanksgiving, beginning of December. And like, so any new revenue we do isn't going to count till, you know, January of next year, yeah. any customer that cancels. Sure. So it's like, we've locked in our earnout. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm talking to Mike and I'm like, all right, and by Mike, the way, define the earnout. Cause I don't think everyone so, just intuitively yeah, knows so what that means. 10% of our sell price was held up on the earnout. So, you know, let's for easy and, numbers. And that's there to make sure that you on some levels like exit like a gentleman. Yeah. To say the, the so we, we signed the deal in May and our, our deal was our earn out was only like six or seven months. It was relatively short. And basically that was to make sure that we stuck around, ran the business, da, 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 da. And a lot of times, like, so if you came to me today and said, I'll buy Stackify for, I'll just say 20 million, I'd be like, uh, no. But they're like, well, we'll buy it for 30 million. And as part of that, you've got to hit these numbers over the next 12 months or 18 months. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll do that. I'll go for the higher number and I'll make sure we hit those objectives. So we'll agree on paying a little more, right? And for that's those lessons, that's also like helps with a smooth transition yeah. and just like, yeah. Yeah, it's a little different. I mean, I, I can't go into all the details uh, for our deal, but I, what I can say is it's a little different for services firms than it is for software firms. Sure. So, so because largely uh, the, what you're, the product you're selling is our, our people. Right. Everybody's got employees, yeah. but like, you know, when you're a software firm, the employees help support a product that is a piece of software. But in our so case, in your case, they're trying to make sure the entire company doesn't walk out well, the, door the whole thing. There's a lot of different, right? And there's a lot more value potentially to create that's created around people, people processes, and a lot of people oriented things. Because services firms, by and large, are our only people, right? The talent you have in your people. So, so very, but everything you just said is exactly right. I mean, there'll be a higher, typically a higher value ascribed. Uh, when earnouts are engaged, um, because it and, and honestly, for the entrepreneurs that are in play, as he points out, it, there is you know we're driven by the ambiguous, right? We're driven by the un you know you know for us to be like focused on a particular you know cap or something, yeah. it's just like we can't even like orient well, ourselves I, that way. And I, I so quickly, upside's important. I quickly realized six months later there was no way I was going to be able to work for the new corporate overlords. Ah. and so I went to Mike. This is kind of fun. After Thanksgiving, and I told Mike, I'm like you know what, we just sold the company for a shitload of money and I didn't care what I was going to have to do. You know, we, if I have to work here for the next two years, what, whatever I got to do. So I went to him and like, how long do I have to stay here? Yeah. And he literally told me, he's like, dude, they abolished slavery a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if you don't want to be here, it's America. you don't have to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And so funny, funny side story. The So we sold the company to autotrader.com, which is part of Cox Automotive and all this. I guess two of the executives at AutoTrader made a bet amongst each other on whether I would leave first or Mike would leave first. And Mike <laughs> was the CEO. And everybody bet that Mike would leave first and I was going to stay. And so I cost somebody a $10,000 bet. Yeah, well, they're, you know? they're, I they can't were, believe somebody made that They were that underrating bet. you as a, just a dumb programmer I, all over I again, was right? a I was the immediate From a dumb risk, programmer to a guy that had a fun and interesting exit. Yeah. yeah. So still but, but I think I, still doesn't own a money gun. In, in our case, in our case, yeah, it looks like I'm about to get one before you. Is, get yeah, one. I'm going to, and I'm going to deliver it. And, but uh, yeah. no, look, I, I'll say, I feel really, we're, we, we exited a really good people. And that was by the way, also a really important component to our pluses and minuses. I mean, there was a point where uh, I, I wrote up on the board, you know, some version of, you know, what's, what's the dollar amount? Meaning there was a, a couple of groups in there that I wanted to make sure my partners are on the same page. There wasn't necessarily a dollar amount worth it. 
to to exit to a group that we wouldn't necessarily feel like we're leaving our people. I think it's crazy. I mean, think about that. Literally sold to not the highest bidder, which is yeah. not an in, like that. Some people will be like, why? But well, you did, so I've done for the right reason. So yeah, I, I can I, I got a huge appreciation for that. Sure, yeah. So I have a story there too. And then there was a couple things almost blew up our deal. I'll tell you about. Um, so we were going to sell the company originally to one of the largest companies in automotive software. They do like RJ you know, Reynolds over a billion dollars in revenue, no, not RJ but they were literally like fucking galactic empire, Darth Vader, like, and nobody, none of us wanted to sell the company to them. like that, like it would have been a disaster. Like everybody hated it, but they made the best offer. And we literally, um, the owner who owned the whole company, one dude owned this whole thing, multi-billionaire comes up to Kansas City. We all agree. We all sit down in principle to the deal. Like, we're going to sell it. And uh, we hugged the guy. We literally hugged the guy on the deal, shook his hand, all this stuff. But we never signed anything. Hmm. And so we called AutoTrader and be like, hey, we're going to sell the company to so-and-so. And they're like, no, you're not. You are not going to sign anything. We will be there in two days. And so they literally came in two days later <laughs> and offered us a premium over and we were all like the most thankful people in the world that darth vader almost bought our company. <laughs> but but here's what happened you though. hugged darth but then there was one really terrible thing that happened it almost turned him back to the to the good side we all what almost destroyed our whole deal that that original company that we were dealing with um we had an integration with um about 40 percent of our customers use their software and in because of what happened they sort of threatened to take our integration away which would have fucked us yeah for sure big time like that would have tanked everything yeah scary and that was a talk about a scary thing every single day trying to figure out how we were going to navigate through that like we told this guy we were going to sell our company to him and then we said no and now he he holds our cards and you hugged him right yeah that was insane we managed to navigate if you didn't hug him but when you hugged him it was a different yeah so then there was one other really, really crazy. Do you disagree? <laughs> I think so. I mean, Once you hug, hug the guy, like, yeah, hug feels like, like you sealed the deal to me. I know. <laughs> you can't so, take back a hug, man. There was yeah. one other really crazy thing. That might have been happened. legally binding in like some states. Like, <laughs> yeah. Virginia. Cholera, Is that Virginia's no, for lovers? No, more like cholera. Virginia's for lovers. Virginia's for lovers. Is that common law marriage? That is binding Virginia. In West Virginia, it might be. I hugged so. another guy and that's common law marriage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was one other thing that really happened. That's a funny story. I have to tell. So we're, we agree we're going to sell the company to auto trader. And so they plan this meeting and I have like 20 people or whatever fly in, meet the management team. We get like 30 or 40 people in this giant room and we go around the room and tell me, introduce yourself and tell them what your hobby is. So we go around the room and everybody goes to, so it comes time to our CFO and he says, my name is, blah, 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 da, 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 da. And my hobby is masturbating. <laughs> what? Yeah. The whole room <laughs> looks at each other like, what the fuck <coughs> just happened? And this is a true story. I can't Holy even make this cow. up. We were floored. We didn't even, nobody even knew what to do from that point. And we were all like, oh my God. I think oh we should God. commend him for his honesty, though. Well, Maybe. <laughs> But talk about and that was the part when the podcast went off the rails. Yeah, got it. it. There it is. Thank right you. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> now yeah. bring that back. Here we are. We are now was, here. But that was the here. craziest thing I'd ever that seen is in cra- my entire life. One of the craziest life. things I've ever heard. And we're all sitting in the room like, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah. And did this guy just blow up our whole deal? Like they're gonna fire this guy? They think our CFO is a bumbling fucking moron now? Like, like we're on damage control mode. Like what happened? 
Right. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, Matt, you know me pretty well. Can you imagine the things that would have come out of my mouth after that meeting when we left? Wait, uh, wait. This like, is the, uh, yeah. the buyer side, right? The buyer side yeah. guy said that. One, no, somebody worked well, for us. Yeah. It was a holy yeah, crap. Yeah, no, our no, CFO. Yes, yes. Our CFO yes. said that. Whoa, whoa. So when our post facto, when you were on the plane, this, what did you ask It was him? in our office in Kansas City. Did you ask this guy after the meeting what the hell he was thinking? That's why I said that's you could No, I have to like, like I have yeah. to know. Like you had like, No, you had yeah, to, we talked to him and he thought he was trying to be funny. Are you kidding? That yeah, was the defense. He was trying to be funny. Yeah. You you're you're kidding. No, he thought he was trying to be funny. So, that is uh so guys why we're that on, is can't make this while, up. I can't while, make this while up. we're on the subject oh my god no I'm, I'm, i don't know what i would have done i was gonna choke them out <laughs> my <laughs> hobby is podcasting oh okay yeah. oh okay yeah. so so right. you don't make money at this <laughs> yeah the same it's the same same outcome it's really what it is is it's just a lot of time spent doing something i should probably i thought your hobby be was being a head coach that was the sex coach <laughs> so we had a sex coach in here once at, uh, and the, the, when the podcast was you, still called startup hustle yeah, yeah. well she, no. she owns a business she wants to be there an influencer or whatever and go. by cool. the way there are yeah. ne there's never been more times in the history of this podcast where i've had to preface something where i said i'm asking for a friend <laughs> <laughs> so neil asking for a friend uh -oh. what would you like to tell our you know and by the way thanks for coming in this was fun this was yeah this is really it. yeah really I, interesting. Um, I really and i and, learned about something called the money gun well i'm we really are we're gonna start a hustle and full scale are gonna bring you a money gun I, mainly because i want to see your office and i want to see what's up and i drive by it anyway yeah and, no and, we'd love to have and you. really like dude thank you for your reaction i got that on video and I will send that to you too. <laughs> that was priceless. And what's in your face? So if any of you have not yet been to our Instagram page, oh yeah, that's going to be up on it. So at Startup Hustle Podcast. But Neil, uh, give us a couple words of wisdom. Tell the future hopefuls, the people that that want to fire the money gun in their world. Like, I mean, you get you dropped a lot of a lot of wisdom and great advice. But you know, what do you want to tell people on the way out? And anything, it's a it's open, open mic. Yeah, no, look, uh, I won't be very pithy about it, but I, I'll say that I think that you've got to be driven by something a little bit uh, greater than money and greater than yourself. And and I don't think that's the same thing as passion. That's a discussion for maybe another podcast. I, I'm not going to talk about passion right now. What I'm going to say is what drives you every day has to be a sense of purpose. And you may not be able to name it or or describe it, but you have to have it. Um, and and in the end, if you can actually apply, uh, which, by the way, is fairly common sense business principles <laughs> to that purpose, uh, you can get to where you want to get uh, or you'll die trying. But but those it'll be a noble pursuit all the way through. So I think I think what I would say is that uh, having a sense of purpose, um, having persistence um, and making no excuses along the way is about the closest formula to, to whatever you might describe as success as I can come up with. So Neil, where can our listeners um, and people that used to listen before they heard the that story? Holy God! Where can they find out more about your company or any any you know any social media or anything like that? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Like so uh, www.degdigital.com and at deg digital is the company's everything, and then uh, I'm at at Neil USA N E A L USA. Wow, that you got Neil you at Neil USA early on. I was gonna say, dude, yeah. you're like the greatest country like, on God's like the, earth. You're like the ninth person to sign up on Instagram. Like that <laughs> one. Congrats! Wow, um, Matt, you got anything to say? I gave you guys the floor. 
I, mean, I think for somebody out there who wants to sell their business, the key thing is just building a great business. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it's, it's people, not, it's got to be the focus it, yeah, first. It's got to build a great business. Right. Yeah. Don't, if, you, if you're focused on enterprise value, you won't build enterprise value. You got to build a great business. And there's no substitute to that. That and I do want to end on the idea that any Limp Biscuit song is not a song worth crowd surfing. Oh. And by the way, Limp Biscuit is not a fucking song. <laughs> See you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.